What is up, divers? Welcome in to the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com, which is always popping during the offseason. With that being said, let's get to the content. What's up, divers? Welcome into another episode of Deep Dive Fantasy Football. Today, I will be going over the New York Jets, a pretty tough, pretty tough projection. It's it's not quite there with the Eagles, or we haven't done the Saints yet, but with the Saints, it's not quite there in terms of one of the hardest teams to project. I would say it's a little easier than the last team we just went over, the Giants, but That said, we still got a lot of problems here in the wide receiver room. We have no idea who the wide receiver one is going to be. We got a lot to talk about, so I'm excited to do so. Let's start, of course, as always, with the personnel changes. They've got a new head coach. They've got a new offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. We're going to look, obviously, at the offense. So the most important change, in my opinion, is the offensive coordinator, and that is Mike LaFleur. He was the passing game coordinator from the San Francisco 49ers, now taking over the offense for these Jets. The head coach is also from San Francisco. It's Robert Sala. He was the defensive coordinator, now taking over head coach duties here in New York. They traded Sam Darnold, obviously. Everybody knows that. They drafted quarterback Zach Wilson. I think that's going to be a slight upgrade. I can't say huge because I think Zach Wilson is going to experience a learning curve in his rookie season, but... Zach Wilson is a minor upgrade. A bigger upgrade would be drafting a very solid guard in Elijah Vera Tucker in the first round, and they're doing it with the right process. We've talked about Joe Burrow and Herbert and how those teams in the Chargers and Bengals have taken completely different angles and approaches to building around their quarterback. Well, I think the Jets are doing the right thing, similar to the Chargers trying to add to that offensive line to protect Zach Wilson, keep their hopefully franchise-changing quarterback upright. So Zach Wilson is now going to be behind a slightly better offensive line than what Sam Darnold had last year. That's Elijah Vera Tucker once again in the first round. He will be on the left side most likely at left guard right next to Mekhi Becton. That's a nice combo there on the left side. They also drafted wide receiver Elijah Moore. They drafted him 34th overall and in my opinion that's kind of a reach. But he's likely going to be a long-term piece for them, so I guess it's not horrible. I was just somebody that seemed, I guess, was a lot lower on Elijah Moore than most people. A lot of people had him inside their top six, top seven wide receivers. I would not go that far. But he does definitely have a great opportunity for volume here, especially depending on how much they decide to work in Jameson Crowder after he restructured his contract for them. They also signed wide receiver Corey Davis. So very similarly to the other New York team we just talked about, right? The Giants, they signed Kenny Galladay and drafted Kadarius Toney inside the top 40 picks. Well, the Jets, they signed Corey Davis and drafted Elijah Moore inside the top 40 picks. So pretty similar approaches there, in fact. They also drafted running back Michael Carter in the fourth. He's not a guy I was very high on either. It's funny. I kind of like what the Jets did overall even though it included two guys that I'm lower on than consensus in Elijah Moore and Michael Carter. They said that they would have taken Michael Carter in the third round. They got him in the fourth. They didn't have a third round pick. But if they really loved him that much, they probably would have traded up and not hoped for him to drop to the fourth round. Let's talk about some trends, some history, some things I noticed. The 
PFF ranks this defensive line here in New York 7th. That's pretty high. I was actually surprised by that. So we'll see how accurate that ends up being. But they do have a pretty good D-line in New York. Their linebacker core and their secondary, however, need a lot of work. 25th ranked and 28th ranked. The worst thing, similar once again to the other New York team, is the offensive line. They're ranked 28th. I like Vera Tucker solidifying that left side with Becton, like I've said. I think this line is probably more like 25-24. I think this line might be a little bit better than the Bengals line, who they have ranked higher. They, as in PFF, of course. But that's where they have them ranked, and I know you guys like those those rankings and like to hear what other people say other than me. Plus, I can't do everything myself, right? I can't be ranking the offensive lines and the D lines and do all this stuff. One man only has so much time. Last year, the Jets passed 55% of the time. But they have a quarterback change, they have coaching changes, they have wide receiver changes, so you could throw that out the window. That's irrelevant to me. The 49ers, however, which has the coaching staff now in charge, passed the ball 57% of the time last year. I think that's a little bit more relevant, and I actually believe that's pretty much in line with what I think happens. Going to be pretty close. Except, see, I had you there for a second, except that Zach Wilson, he's going to run a bit more than what they were working with in San Fran. Zach Wilson's not a Trevor Lawrence, not a Justin Fields, not a Trey Lance. He's nowhere near those other three consensus top four quarterbacks in the class. But he is going to run enough. He's going to be in that range of, you know, what Carson Wentz was before Carson Wentz got injured. What Joe Burrow could have been until he got injured. He's going to be kind of in that range. He'll be less than Russell Wilson, more than Aaron Rodgers. He'll be like that. So, He's probably going to be around like 350 yards-ish, but that's going to cause me to set that line from 57 pass to actually 55% pass. So that's, yes, in line with what the Jets did last year, but it's completely coincidence, has nothing to do with it because it's a completely different team. The 49ers last year had about 1,000 plays. Well, that's a better offense than what the Jets have currently, so I'm going to reduce that by about three plays a game, which brings them to 1,011 plays once you consider the extra game because it's a 17-game season. So overall, with that 55% pass rate, that's given Zach Wilson 556 passes to work with and 455 runs for the team. Let's start with the runs for Zach Wilson. Let's get that out the way. I have him running for a little bit less than he did in college on a per-game basis. I have him at 93 runs for 325 yards and four rushing touchdowns. He had 10 rushing touchdowns in his last season in college. So... The dude likes to get frisky near the goal line. So that's why I'm giving him those four rushing touchdowns. Now with the 556 passes, that's what we really got to look at here. The running projection is decent. It's good. Definitely going to help if he does hit those four touchdowns. Maybe he hits more. But we got to know how is he going to do as a passer. And it's going to greatly affect all these wide receivers. Well, he's behind an overall bad offensive line. And he's got no run game that provides any threat towards defense, in my opinion. So it's going to be hard for him to be efficient especially with him being a rookie. Some of the key guys as well, Denzel Mims, Chris Herndon, apparently these guys are struggling a bit picking up the new scheme and getting these plays down. So that's also not going to help Zach Wilson be an efficient quarterback. I'm not worried about Denzel Mims. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just reporting what I've read. Now let's talk about the projection. I'm going to give Zach Wilson 63% completion percentage for a meager 10.9 yards per completion and a 4.1 touchdown rate. So that's a pretty mediocre rookie quarterback season. It's vanilla. It's not great. It's not horrible. That's what I got Zach Wilson at as a passer. 
Now let's talk about Michael Carter. This is somebody so many people liked. I know a couple guys close to me actually thought Michael Carter was a top three running back in this rookie class. I definitely disagree. He's got good vision. I'll give him that. And he's got some decent hands, but he's not an exceptional athlete. He doesn't have really any superior or elite skills at all, like anywhere in my opinion. He's kind of just like slightly above a jag. He's barely more than just a guy. So I'm going to treat him as such. Also, if we look at their running back room, they've got him. They've got LaMichael Pirine. They've got Tevin Coleman, who they brought in, who was in San Francisco with this coaching staff. They're going to have a good split, and we might see carry shares divided up just like they were in San Fran. But it'll actually be worse because there's going to be less to go around, and they're going to be way less valuable. They'll be in the red zone less often, and each carry is going to be less yards per carry and all that stuff because the offensive line is worse, and it just overall offense is worse. So I'm not really interested in any running backs here for that reason. I didn't bother projecting who the running back two was going to be between Coleman and P. Ryan because I'm not even sure if if I'm going to own the RB1 in this offense and Michael Carter at all, if he is the RB1, which I'm sure he will be. The 49ers, they've always been, for the past three years at least, a legitimate three-way split backfield. And I say legitimate because they haven't been a three-way split backfield because of injuries only. Even when they got they got guys back healthy, they were always rotating. The most carry somebody has gotten was three years ago in San Fran. It was Matt Breda, and he was at like 157. Nobody has even gotten 160 carries. That's 10 carries a game. Nobody has gotten that. Now, Breda did that 157 carries, I think, in like 13 games or 12 games, so he was above the threshold on a per-game basis. But it just shows you that no matter what, they're never committing to a dude. And it's you know, the same guys coming from that San Francisco system. So maybe, is it possible they change their philosophy? Yeah, it is. It's possible that Michael Carter gets 50% of the workload, but I would not imagine that. I can't see that happening because the 49ers were never even close to that. So with no running backs ever getting more than 50% of the work there, I'm not going to project that here, but I will get kind of up to that line. I'm going to give Michael Carter the benefit of the doubt. Let's say he's way better than... I think, and way better than the other running backs on that roster, and he gets a 45% running back carry share. All right, and then you can throw 35% to whoever you think the running back two is between P. Reiner Coleman and 15% to the other. Likely, let's talk about game to game. It's going to be sporadic. You know what else is going to be sporadic? His receiving usage. I don't see him having a consistent game-to-game floor of like three receptions or anything close to that for Michael Carter. I'm giving him a 7% target share. Now let's move to the wide receivers. Corey Davis, Elijah Moore. Super interesting. I have no idea which one is going to be the wide receiver one, but I'm going to project it to be Corey Davis. Corey Davis to me is going to kind of be in that Brandon Ayuk role. No, is he the same type of receiver? Definitely not. But Corey Davis is probably going to be around a 22% target share. That's what Brandon Ayuk was at last year, and that was the wide receiver one for San Fran. Debo was around 18%, so that's kind of what I'm looking at for Elijah Moore as well. Plus, Debo was in the slot more than Brandon Ayuk was, so kind of similar here with Elijah Moore and Corey Davis. Now, something that's different is that George Kittle, he played a very prominent role, obviously, in that San Fran offense. Well, the Jets don't have a tight end like George Kittle, and without that significant tight end, you may be tempted to give Corey Davis and Elijah Moore high at target shares. And I wouldn't blame you for, the, for that. But 
you got to consider the wide receivers three and four, Denzel Mims and Jamison Crowder, probably make up that difference because the wide receiver three and four behind Ayuk and Moore were not, or sorry, behind Ayuk and Debo were not that great. Not as good as Denzel Mims and Jamison Crowder are for San Francisco. So I think that's going to make up that difference in what the tight end is losing here in New York from the 49ers. Now, I will say mid-season on from week nine-ish on, Elijah Moore might be the number one in this offense in terms of targets if he's as good as everyone else thinks by taking more away from Jamison Crowder. So let's get into Elijah Moore. Just remember, Corey Davis, I got him at a 22% target share. And we'll talk about his stats towards the end. Elijah Moore, you guys know I said he might have been a reach. I personally would have taken some other guys that were there on the board. Terrace Marshall was on the board. Rondale Moore was on the board. I would have taken those guys over Elijah. But I understand their thought process, right? Terrace Marshall, he's a bigger guy. He's more similar to the mold of a Corey Davis or a Denzel Mims. So that wouldn't really make sense for them to take a Terrace Marshall. It'd be hard to find him reps and it would be at the expense of another. Rondale Moore has an extensive injury history. Maybe they were scared off by that. So that's probably part of the thing that played into Elijah Moore. But I did some more research. I actually found some nice YouTube videos in the war room for the Jets and and what they think about this guy. And specifically Robert Sala, he might might have me eating my words when it's all said and done. So I'm going to give you guys a direct quote. I would play it like I usually do when I, I get direct quotes for you guys, but it's super hard to hear. It's subtitled. So that's why I'm not going to play it because I care about the quality as well, right? I want you guys to actually hear him saying it. So I'm going to try and say it the way he said it, not with his accent or anything, but just, you know, with the stresses of the words and stuff. I listened to it a bunch so I could try and nail this on the head for you guys. But this is a direct quote from Robert Sala talking to Elijah Moore on the phone right after they draft him. Ready? All right, let's 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 try this out. <clears throat> let's go, man. Dude, dude, I'm telling you. We've been excited about this. I thought we lost you when we moved up. It's exciting, dog, to get you at 34. I know you wanted to go in the first round, but there is 31 teams that need to pay, dog. I'm excited to get you here. All gas, brother. Let's roll, man. That's exactly what he sounds like. Exactly what he sounds like. So let's get into what I'm actually going to do for Elijah Moore. We talked about that 18% target share, right? He's probably going to start off the get-go. And he's going to be racing Corey Davis for the most targets probably throughout most of the season. And he might edge him out towards the end of the season in the final weeks. He probably gets some carries as well, similar to Debo Samuel. You look at Debo Samuel, he had like just under a carry per game when healthy. I think that's kind of what we're looking at for Elijah Moore here. They love his contact balance. They love his toughness. They love his drive. And I think they're going to try and get him the ball however they can. And that's what they said over and over and over in different parts of things that I've watched about them talking and scouting Elijah Moore, even before they made the pick. So they they love this guy. Denzel Mims, let's talk about him. I'm currently projecting him as the fourth wide receiver in targets with 50% confidence. I have no idea who's going to be the fourth receiver. If it's going to be Mims or Crowder, your best guess is as good as mine. But I'm going to put Mims as the fourth wide receiver right now. And this is with no injuries. You know, obviously, if somebody gets injured, that changes everything. But I'm going to project a 13% target share for Denzel Mims. My thought process is this. If they see Elijah Moore, and they do, this is what they've said, as an extremely versatile wide receiver that can run anywhere on the offense, outside or in the slot, then they're going to keep him on the field. They're always going to want Elijah Moore, if they look at him as that versatile, 
they're going to want to keep him on the field. So when they go three wide receiver with two outside, it's going to be one of two situations. Corey Davis is outside every time. All right. That's every single time. So when they're three wide receivers with one in the slot, it's going to be Corey Davis on the outside and then either Elijah Moore on the outside with Crowder in the slot or Elijah Moore in the slot with Denzel Mims on the outside across from Corey Davis. I think that it's more likely Crowder in his later years with his vet experience and he's apparently not picking up or not struggling to pick up, excuse me, the offense and the scheme. So I would say Crowder's probably more likely to be put in the slot and they would like to have Elijah Moore on the outside. But we'll see what happens. I could definitely be wrong there. But it's not that big of a target share difference. For Mims as the wide receiver four, I have 13%. For Crowder as the wide receiver three, I have 15%. He's also going to probably be talking about Crowder a teacher for Elijah Moore. He's going to help him take over the slot mainly in the future. And then Mims will become that outside starter across from Corey Davis. And then you're looking at that being the trio for the future for Zach Wilson to work with, unless they end up taking another wide receiver. But I think Mims is good. I think he'll develop nicely. So, and Corey Davis is is fine as well. So I think they'll have a pretty nice, maybe slightly above league average trio of wide receivers next year. If all goes as, as according to plan. So, Let's talk about pretty much the tight end situation. You guys know I like Herndon a lot as a sleeper, but unfortunately, I might have to change my gears a little bit because Tyler Croft has been running with the ones, so we got to keep our eye on the situation. Chris Herndon, he's more physically gifted. He should be the starter, but apparently he's struggling just like Denzel Mims, and it's unfortunate because Chris Herndon last year, last three games of the season, he had 15 about, I'm averaging... He had 15 receptions, 150 yards, and two touchdowns in the last three games. Five receptions per game, 50 yards per game, and almost a touchdown per game? That's a very, very good stat line for a tight end. And that's showing the potential that he has. But now we got to worry about him picking up the offense. And he's, you know, been in the league for, I think this is going into year four now, because he's still on his rookie contract, and he wasn't a first-round pick. So, yeah, it's definitely year four for Chris Herndon. It's going to be interesting. Maybe he'll be able to win some somebody over in the coaching staff during preseason or something like that and get that starting job. But if you're in like Scott Fishbowl or something, which by the way, guys, I'm loving right now. Super excited about my team. I'll obviously update you guys when it's all said and done. Maybe I'll do like a little mini podcast on that. I'm not sure. I'll have to gauge your level of interest on that on Twitter. But Chris Hernan, he might be worth a shot in like something of a tight end premium league or a super deep league where you can either start two tight ends or have tight end premium or it's just a dynasty league he's still a young guy so he's worth a shot let's talk about finally the actual projections right but before I do so I just want to say one more thing about Jamison Crowder and actually Denzel Mims they're both probably going to be a little bit more efficient because they're not as high on the totem pole and in terms of like being a priority for a defense right Jamison Crowder is not the wide receiver one anymore and Denzel Mims is not the wide receiver two or one anymore. It's They're going to be three and four. So the coverage that they're going to be seeing is going to be a lot easier. And the offensive line's a little bit better. The quarterback's a little bit better. So for those reasons, I think they're going to be a little bit more efficient. Let's get into it. Zach Wilson, 556 pass attempts, 350 completions, 3,818 passing yards, and 23 passing touchdowns. Remember, for the rushing, I had him at 325 yards and four rushing touchdowns. That gives him 17.7 points per game. 
He is my worst quarterback ranked so far, except for Jared Goff, and he is significantly better than Jared Goff in my rankings. So once again, don't draft Jared Goff. But Zach Wilson, not too too excited for fantasy purposes. Maybe he goes crazy, but I doubt it. It's not a great situation to walk into as a rookie, but they did do what they could to make it a better situation by grabbing Vera Tucker in the first round to add to the offensive line and giving him another wide receiver weapon. Michael Carter, I got him at 39 targets, 30 receptions, 228 yards, a touchdown, 155 carries, 682 rush yards, and six touchdowns. So overall, rookie season for Michael Carter, for me, is total combined yards at about 900, so less than 1,000. And in a 17-game season, I mean, it's not a horrible rookie season, but he's not going to be mad efficient either. And seven touchdowns total. That gives him 7.5 points per game. He is between Kenny Gainwell and Gus Edwards. Now, he does have a better shot at volume in case this coaching staff says, hey, you know, the one thing we didn't like in San Fran was that Kyle Shanahan always wanted us to split with three running backs. We actually would rather do a one-two punch or like a workhorse. So because that possibility, while slim, does exist, I would rather take Michael Carter over someone that I have him ranked under, like Kenny Gainwell. But that's where I have him in terms of points projected. Now let's talk about Corey Davis. I've got him at 13.4 points per game. That's off 122 targets, 84 receptions, 1,132 yards, and five touchdowns. That puts him right between Jamar Chase and Kenny Galladay. Pretty good season for Corey Davis. I think a lot of people would be very happy with that. Elijah Moore at 11.1 points per game, right above Rashad Bateman, right under Will Fuller. And for Elijah Moore, I have 100 targets, down from 122 from Corey Davis. So 100 targets for Elijah Moore, 66 receptions, 786 yards, 6 touchdowns, as well as 85 rushing yards and a touchdown off 17 carries. Denzel Mims, I have at 8.5, 72 targets, 8.5 points per game, 72 targets, 38 receptions, 567 yards, and 4 touchdowns. He is under Kadarius Toney, right above Christian Kirk. And Jameson Crowder, Probably not going to be drafting much of him at all. He's right between the Lions wide receivers, Tyrell Williams and Amon Ross St. Brown. So that's not good. He's at 6.6 points per game. With that said, that's the New York Jets. Thank you guys for tuning in. We're starting to chug along here. We really are. If you start looking at the draft sheets, they're starting to come into a, a nice view. We've got a lot of teams done. I can actually pull them up right now as I'm talking and uh, say anything that I notice. So I know a lot of people are drafting, right? So I just want to point out a few people before the podcast ends that I'm really high on right now. Jalen Hurts with, let's see, let me count real quick. We've got 13 teams to project left. So with 13 teams left to project, Jalen Hurts currently stands at my at my quarterback three. And his ADP is like just outside the top 10, I believe. So that's a really nice value in my opinion. Justin Fields stands at like my quarterback eight right now. He'll probably be 15 when it's all said and done. He's being drafted a lot lower than that, so that's another person I like a lot more than average. If we look at the running backs, DeAndre Swift right now is my running back seven. Now, after Jonathan Taylor and a bunch of other guys, he'll probably be like RB 11, 12. That's still higher than his like 16 to 18 ADP, so I think he's a good value too. He's going to be carried by those receptions. Najee Harris is my running back four right now. His ADP is around eight to 10, so he's going to be a good value as well. Somebody I like a lot. If we go to the wide receivers, you guys know always I'm higher on Tyler Boyd because, hey, I project pretty close to what he usually does, and nobody else seems to pick up on it. I don't know why. But Tyler Boyd right now is my wide receiver nine. 
Now, 13 teams to go. A lot of teams have a lot of wide receivers, so he'll probably be more around like wide receiver 15, 16. But his ADP right now is wide receiver 32, 34. And his fantasy pros ranking is like wide receiver 40. So I looked at it yesterday. So Tyler Boyd is definitely a huge value. Hopefully nobody in my Scott Fishbowl division is listening to the podcast because he's definitely somebody I'm trying to grab. Robert Woods is another really good value. He's currently my wide receiver five. So he'll probably be a wide receiver one for me. He's definitely outside of that in ADP. Cooper Cup, wide receiver seven. He's another guy I like a lot more than average right now. So those are some guys that I'm just really high on. And then the last one I would say is Dallas Goddard. He's right now my tight end two. Now I haven't done Kelsey, haven't done Waller. Both of those guys are definitely above him. But that's probably where... Dallas Goddard finishes. He's probably going to be tight end four for me because outside of Kelsey and Waller going up, I already projected Andrews. I have Goddard barely above. I already projected TJ Hawkinson. I have Goddard barely above. No fan has too much target competition. He's not going to end up that high for me. So we're pretty much looking at Goddard top five season, baby. It's coming. Be ready for it. With that said, thank you guys for tuning in. Go check out the draft sheets. Ask me any questions you might have. And if you want to, you know, change some things if you think I'm an idiot and you want to adjust something hey guess what you can do you can download and I already have the equations in there to do fantasy points and all that stuff so you could download my draft sheets copy them and change whatever you you dis disagree with you know if you think Dallas Goddard's going to get 115 targets and I have them at 131 you could change that and then change the receptions yards or whatever and it's going to give you the the points per game fantasy and drop it down in the ranking where He should be according to your opinion. So I think that's something that's cool. Thank you guys for tuning in. Have a good one. Dive deep. Good luck if you're in any drafts right now. Hopefully we stay clear of the injury bug this season. Peace.